book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. I'm really challenged by the, the theme for your conference and um, it's my desire to be able to serve the theme with integrity. Acts chapter 8 verses 4 to 8. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I want to present you a title. It's not designed to impress you, but it's designed to give you some context. And it's called The Pneumatics of God the pneumatics of God. And I really want to pose two questions, the pneumatics of God. One, what is the culture of the kingdom? And number two, how does the outpouring of his spirit create community? So what is the culture of the kingdom? And how does the outpouring of his spirit create community? In order to um, give some validity to the topic, my background <clears throat> um, is in engineering. And as a young apprentice, one of the systems that I was taught was pneumatics. Um, it's possibly not as popular as it was 20, 30 years ago. But pneumatics within engineering uses gas or pressurized air to carry out mechanical actions. So one of the things as a young apprentice that amazed me was how you would often go to a basement and see machinery that could produce incredibly high pressure. And then as you went throughout the entirety of the building, there would be mechanical functions that took place. Switches would come on, lights would come on, doors would open. The things that I was seeing throughout the building was a man, the manifestation of a system. And that is why um, in the New Testament we have that same Greek word pneuma. And in, within the context of engineering... Whenever we talk about a system that produces pressurized air and causes things to function mechanically, we call it pneumatics. And one of the things that I'm very conscious of is that there is a way in which God works in his kingdom. And fundamentally, he works by his spirit. He uses his word and that is why the word and the spirit never disagree. And it's understanding that system. Jesus helped us by literally saying that the words that I speak, they are, they are spiritual. The nature of my language is spiritual. Paul goes on to tell us in the opening extracts of 1 Corinthians that there are things that God does that have to be spiritually understood. They have to be spiritually perceived. So in these last days, it's critical for us to not only understand his system, but to flow in his system. And to understand that the things that we are experiencing can be better appreciated when we understand the nature and the core of them. Let me just highlight a couple of things about a pneumatic system. Once it is pressurized, once 
the power and the force of the air has been released throughout this system and, and it's a closed system. As an engineer during maintenance we would always check for leaks. So if we went to a switch and the switch wasn't operating at full capacity we realized that there was nothing generally wrong with what was producing the air. We would recognize that there may be something in the system that is blocking the air, blocking the flow. Or the mechanical device itself had begun to break down. So, so it is for us as spiritual people that we have to look at our lives and ask ourselves this question. Are there any blockages to the flow of God's spirit that we know has been endorsed through scripture? We know God is here. We know he has poured out his spirit. We know he is pouring out his spirit. But when we see a lack of action or manifestation, we have to ask ourselves, are there any avenues of our lifestyle that could cause there to be a disconnect between what God intended and what is being manifested? Now, let me just throw this out there. In the 1611 King James Version, what's very interesting one of the words that is used to describe our lifestyle is a, a, a word called conversation. And I, I actually like that word conversation because what it suggests is that the product of your life is a conversation. The way you think, the way you behave. So Paul talked about, you know, being mindful of your conversation here on earth and but in some other translations, they translate it as conduct. Because everything you do, if you like, is a conversation on earth that has spiritual implications. There's always something that emanates from your life based on what you do. So when, for example, we preach the word and we're speaking there are spiritual things that are taking place as a result of the words I'm speaking. When we worship or when we pray, again, we engage in conversation, but there are things that are being manifested internally and externally. So for us, being spiritual creates a culture. Now, one of the things that I was challenged to do about a year ago was to have a fresh look at the church as if I'd never, ever studied church history before. And I realized just how, and quote, unquote, cultish the church appeared. Now, in today's context, when we talk about a cult, we talk about that which is removed from the norm, the extremes. But isn't it poignant that one of the phrases that was given for the early church, one of the, the, the nouns that were given for the church is that they were called the way. Everyone say the way. Because there was something about the way that they lived, functioned, and operated that was so far removed from the status quo. So when we start to live spiritually and function spiritually and speak spiritually, in today's context, our lifestyle could be concluded as being cultish. Now, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, I love films. And every so often, they, they will use this expression that this was a cult film. So, um, if you think of The Matrix, for example, it was called a cult film because 
the technology that was used, the filming perspective that were used were new. They were very, very different to what had been used before. But it was distinctive. Star Wars, if those of you are, remember 1977, when the film Star Wars was made, it was deemed as a cult film. And what happened, it set a trend for similar films afterwards. So what happened is that when society looked on the church, the early church, they said, these people, they're different. They're almost like a cult because the way they function, their ideologies, the, 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 the modus operandum, the way that they do things is so extreme. And, and to make it worse, they're preaching a message about a dead man called Jesus and they're actually saying that he's alive. When Jesus was on the earth, they said that his doctrine was strange. It, it wasn't like the scribes who only reiterated what was written. Somehow, when he was speaking, he was speaking as one that had authority. The Bible tells us in Acts that the Sadducees, when they saw the way the church functioned, they were disturbed. I want to suggest to you that these hallmarks for the last day's church is not a negative thing. I want to suggest to you that the more that people can actually demarcate and say there's a way in which we live and there's a way in which we function that is totally different to the status quo would suggest to me that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is bringing Christ-likeness on the earth. Because whenever there is a manifestation of true Christ-likeness, there will be difference. There will be something about our authority that is different because the authority we're moving is spiritual. I've got no problem in us rising up and recognizing that the world we live in requires us to speak out. There are social injustices. But we mustn't forget that at the end of it, by nature and inherently, we are spiritual people. We do not wrestle or struggle against flesh and blood. But there is a realm in which we seek to bring about change and transformation. We want to see things reformed, but in order for them to be reformed, we have to be spiritual. Now, I know that theologically sometimes people struggle with the idea that someone can be born again, born from above, but yet have carnal tendencies. But this wasn't an issue for Paul. Because Paul says that you can be born again, but still have tendencies that are counteractive to your spiritual nature. So there is something that we have to press into. Because around us every single day, there are temptations to be natural. There are temptations to be carnal. Even in the way that we want to do ministry, even in the way that we want to grow church, even in the way that we want to disciple, that we can almost take up mechanical and natural things. And I'm not saying they don't have their place. But essentially, we've got to tap into those things that are spiritual, that truly bring about the transformation of individuals. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not designed to just give us man-made systems. It was designed to bring us into an encounter with God that would transform who we are. And when we are transformed who we are, we live a life that is spiritual. Now, looking at the text in Acts chapter 8, it challenges us in several ways. Because the, the idea of God pouring out of his spirit presents to us, if you like, a, a phenomenon. Now, one of the things that I had to do, 
had to do, it wasn't a great subject. When I was studying um, engineering, it was physics, and it was really boring. But one of the things they teach you is that whenever someone is pouring out or something is pouring out, there's a dissipation of energy. Those of you know it as a law of entropy, which suggests that if I keep pouring out, I'm pouring out, I'm releasing energy, and over a period of time, the source becomes less. But what the scripture indicates is that because God is omnipotent, when he poured out himself 2,000 years ago, it hasn't diminished his power. <laughs> he doesn't become less. You know, if the Spirit of God manifests in a certain way in this session, it doesn't mean by the next session God's got to go away and recuperate and, you know, get a coffee in order to have the same intensity. The reason why that is important, and you may not agree with this, is that sometimes the way in which revival is taught is that God poured out more or was more powerful in certain arenas. But I want to suggest to you this thing, and I want to show you some scriptures. There's never been a limitation according to scripture where God says, I won't pour out my spirit. I'll give you 50% of my spirit. There's no indication of that. But what there is an indication is that the demands of God's people creates the measure of spiritual experience. So, for example, you could get a thousand people right now who are absolutely desperate and thirsty for God's system, God's way, and it creates a measure of glory that surpasses a meeting where the people are not hungry, they're not committed, they don't love God, they don't love his word, because this of God often loves to reciprocate the desires of his people. Let me show you something else from another perspective. In Genesis, the flood that came upon the earth had a direct correlation to the lifestyle of the people on the earth. Say it again. The flood that came on the earth had a direct correlation to the attitudes and the behavior of the people on the earth. And you can see that in Genesis 6 verse 5 to 7 where the Bible says the Lord, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. And then God says, listen, I'm going to pour out my wrath and I'm going to destroy man because everything he's doing, the object is evil. Now, if we turn that around, so let me just say this. The wrath of God, the measure of God's wrath was correlated to the actions of his people. Are you getting me? So if you turn that around, what would the earth look like if every thought we had and every desire we had was for God? What would our earth look like if when we woke up every morning we had a kingdom mindset and our desire was to walk by faith and not by sight, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, to seek the things of God, to be God conscious rather than self-conscious, what would our earth look like? What would the environment feel like? What would God do in response to those that hunger and thirst after righteousness? What would our atmosphere, what would our families be like? If we say, God, we want to see miracles, we want to see salvations, we want to see healings, it's down to our response on the earth. The measure of God's power potentially is always there. But there is an intentional response from God to what you do, to what you say, to how you think. And God loves to pour out in response, everyone say in response, to the things that happen on the earth. So when we look at the early church, how many of you know God's pretty clever? Hallelujah. There are certain catalysts and agitators that God uses. And when we see in Acts chapter 8, the prerequisite 
for a city being transformed. The prerequisite for extraordinary ministry was persecution. And somehow, persecution is such a unique agitator because what it does, it causes you to seek God in a very, very profound way. Do you know I was in a meeting recently and I can't be as explicit as I would like. I know it's been filmed. But I was chairing a meeting at the town hall two weeks ago. And I was shocked by the things that were being discussed on the agenda. But there was something in me that drove me even more to prayer. There was something in me that said, oh Lord Jesus, we need your grace. We need your power. We need your wisdom to be released in your church. We need the heavenlies to, to come under the authority of the Lord. It didn't cause me to panic. But when I realized what was being stirred and what was being created and potentially it would be an issue for the, these last days church, it caused me to get closer to the Lord. And I just love the way that God allows agitators. He allows things to manifest in our history that drives us to a place of intimacy. And the Bible says that as a result of persecution, Philip, who had been given an administrative and a spiritual role within the church just a few chapters back, now was one that was being used in a supernatural way. Let me just say this. One thing about church history, whenever the existence of believers has come under attack, the spirit of the living God loves to confirm and multiply their existence. Whenever a church comes under spiritual attack, whenever a community of believers come under spiritual attack, you will see the spirit of God is attracted to that situation and says, I'm going to multiply you even more. Because now you are so conscious of the fact that you need me to exist. Paul says in him we live, we move and we have our existence. There's something about these agitators that lives, lifts the church to the spiritual dimension that it was ordained to be. So let me just say this. I want to suggest to you some of the things that we are praying against in these last days in the wisdom and in the economy of God are actually going to be useful for us because they become divine agitators that brings us to a place where we are desperate for his glory. We are desperate to see the manifestation of his word, to see the hand of God change and set people free. We become desperate. And what we see is that the spirit of God says, that's okay. My church is being persecuted, but I'm going to bring my church into such an encounter with my spirit that it becomes a lifestyle. When the Holy Spirit comes, it doesn't matter from what perspective. I was reading some rabbinical writings about Joel chapter 2. But this is the one essential thing that comes to me. Whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out, it creates a prophetic community. It creates a prophetic community. I'm not suggesting everyone is in the office of a prophet, but it creates a prophetic community. Dreams, visions, signs, wonders, prophesying. There's something about the change in our culture that happens in response to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say this. I love speaking in tongues and it's an essential part of my prayer life and it, I'm sure it is for you. It also becomes a key part even in times of worship. But that's not the only sign. And I really feel that when, there, when there's a change in culture, what happens is that changes in culture start to permeate surroundings. 
So what happens is that when you go into Brixton, there's a culture. When you come into even different regions throughout the UK, you sense the culture. Something is permeating, something is happening. And what happens is that when the Spirit of God comes and when the Spirit of God came on those believers, it created a prophetic community. It didn't just give them foresight, it gave them insight, it gave them courage. It gave them boldness. It, get, it caused them to be innovative in the ways in which people could be healed. Can you imagine God saying to you, right, the way in which people are going to be healed, I want you just to stand on the high road. And as they bring the sick past you on the high road, they're going to be healed. It brings innovation. The Holy Spirit brings God ideas. The Holy Spirit transitions us into place of effectiveness it creates a prophetic community and let me say this what is very interesting even though the church was added to and even though it was multiplied within the demographics of the areas where they were or in Jerusalem they were a minority group but such was the intensity of what was happening amongst them those small group of people turned communities and cities upside down because it was the influence of this community that had been exposed to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me just throw some some things out to you. Have you ever wondered why? And I've only been to this place once and Joe said, I don't even know why you went there. I went to Pakistan and he was really worried. Honestly, he was very worried and there was a reason why. It was one of the most dangerous places I've ever done ministry in. But one of the things that really fascinated me is that the Christian community is so small, but yet it invokes the greatest persecution. Even when you go to Egypt, the Coptic Christians have gone down something like 70-80% over the last 30 years, but yet they invoke the biggest persecution. People being blown up bombs dropped on on, on the coaches etc and I realize it's because of what is contained and who is amongst these communities that because of their exposure to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there's something that resonates in the spiritual realm that becomes a threat to the enemy it's not how many it's who is amongst you and I believe that God is challenging us as a community to begin to function as people who live continually under the cloud and the influence of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why the scripture says not by might nor by power because those are our natural dispositions. When you want to get things done, you think you want to work harder, you want to think harder, but there is a way, there is a way that is more effective and that way is when we are led by the Spirit. Jesus modeled it on earth. He modeled it in such a tremendous way. Say this with me. The Father speaks. Come on. The Father speaks. The Spirit leads. The Son follows. That was the model of Jesus. He modeled it on earth and he says, if you want to really know how to live under the anointing and the influence of the Holy Spirit, learn to be led. Learn to be led. Don't create your own narrative. Oh God. Don't create your own narrative. Jesus says I wasn't on earth to create my own narrative. I'm on earth to speak the words of my father. Oh Lord. Let me say this. Um, I've got a few more things. I really want to spend a lot of time in prayer. I, I remember speaking to someone recently about the power of compassion. And they cited the the scripture where they said Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, compassion is a human quality. And it is an essential part of how we engage with the world. it's, It's important to be moved with compassion. But what I said to them is that there are times I'm moved with compassion about many things. But the essential ingredient, the most poignant issue is what I'm led to do. And what we've got to be careful is that we don't create ministries that are moved with compassion and not led by the Spirit. There are people that I 
I'm, have meetings with absolutely hate God, have no desire for the things of God, and they have compassion. So they'll talk about how we can feed communities and how we can help victims, etc. But what, is, what gives us a God advantage is that we're not just moved, but we're led. Someone said we're led. So it's the leading of the Holy Spirit that gives us that distinctive. Again, going back to the text, one of the things that happens as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's probably controversial, is what I call spiritual cleansing. Spiritual cleansing. Now, I know I, I've, I've, I, I've got a great passion for healing. I love healing. And I thought, God, let me just go through the whole New Testament and just look at how many times people's healing was connected to spiritual deliverance. And you'll be shocked. Just do a little word search. The amount of times what is implied is that there was something spiritual, a spiritual element that was hindering their physical transformation. And what we find is that when Philip went into the city, demons were cast out. The sick were healed. There was great joy in the city. The outpouring of the Spirit caused spiritual and moral cleansing. Now you've gone awfully quiet, but hear my heart. If the outpouring of the Holy Spirit does not bring moral and spiritual cleansing, what are we experiencing? So sometimes our, our brothers and sisters who project to us maybe meetings through the media and say, God is pouring out his spirit. God is pouring out his spirit. Well, if he is, and we're responding appropriately, why is there not a change in lifestyle? Why is there a change in lifestyle? You know, when, when someone says, the Lord is pouring out his spirit on my church. Well, why is your attitude not changed? What, what, why are you still gossiping? Why are you not praying? When last did you fast? Oh, that's a religious thing. No. It's one of the, it's one of the manifestations of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because there's something in you that is driving you to Christ's likeness. There's something in you that says, I've got to get into his presence. There's something in you that says, I want more of you. Do you know, I've got to let go of those words. I've got to stop doing what I'm doing. And what you find in Samaria, demons were cast out, the sick were healed. And thirdly, there was great joy in the city. There was transformation in your character. And what my desire is and what my passion is, is that as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see transformation in character. Let me tell you this, pastoring will never be easier when people encounter the Holy Spirit. Because much of what you do in pastoring is related to people's issues in their character. But if the Holy, I say to people, if the outpouring of the Holy Spirit can't do it, what can I do? We need communities to deal with our prejudices. Isn't it interesting that as, even though Peter received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he still needed God to deal with his prejudices. So this is something we can never take for granted. We've got to implant ourselves and engage ourselves in a lifestyle where God can transform us. So it wasn't just in Samaria they were just worshipping. Something was changing within them. Their lifestyle, their behavior. And as a result of that, the sick were healed. Let me say this last couple of things. And I want to put a challenge to you. What would be the one thing in your life that would please God the most? What would be, and I'm talking on a very personal level here, what, what would be the one thing that you could do that would please God the most? 
can I share a, a, a little testimony? One of the things about 10 years ago, the Lord really challenged me on this. He says, Noel, what would your relationship look like if you came to Sunday and you never had to preach, you never had to play, you never had to moderate? What, what would your relationship with me look like? And what I did, it, I know it sounds a bit strange, I started to look at myself. What, what, what would I be like? And the first couple of times I was agitating, I was fidgety, I'm seeing things that aren't right, and, I'm, and I think, oh, the, you know, the mic needs to change, and the music's too loud, and, blah, 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 and that note wasn't right. And, and he said, well, that, that's the, the problem, that you're not as spiritual as you think you are. I know that you may not say that about yourself. I'm, let me say it about myself. You're not as spiritual as you think you are because you're so conscious of things and when you become more conscious of things and people it impacts your spiritual lifestyle and I've learned to come in some Sundays and you know there's some crazy things that happen and I just think Do you know what I'm a worshiper today I'm a worshiper I'm gonna come in I'm gonna dance I'm gonna sing I'm going to spin around because I don't want the activity of men to rob me of a spiritual experience. Imagine, now, let me tell you how difficult it is, church. You've got a man who's spent 40 days and 40 nights in the very presence of God. And as he comes down and he becomes aware of what other people have been doing, what took him 40 days to get, he breaks in one minute. And I've learned that sometimes momentum is lost in churches because of incidents. And we've got to have a level of maturity where things do not break the momentum of the spirit in our churches. Things do not have the power and authority to break the momentum of God. Because when we read Acts chapter 8, how many of you would have been put off by learning that one of the quote-unquote converts called Simon was a charlatan? Would you have stopped everything and say, look, you know, uh, pastor, you know, there's a wrong spirit among us and we need to cast it out because a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. And before we know it, the momentum of the spirit of God in a church is focused on one incident. Let me tell you this. If that was the model of Jesus, he would never have got to the cross because Judas was a problem. James and John was a problem, fighting over who should sit on the right hand, on the left hand of the Father. But he never lost his spiritual focus. And I'm saying, if we are a prophetic and spiritual community, we've got to learn how to maintain momentum. We've got to learn how to not allow those distractions and those things to rob us of the fruit of our pursuit. There's something in this house that you're pursuing and it's awesome. There's something in the body of the Christ that we're pursuing. But we must not allow things to break the momentum of God. Say that we must not allow the things of the enemy to break the momentum of the spirit in our lives. My last point before we, we pray. Proverbs 1, verse 23. What we can't, it would be remiss of me not to mention the fact that as the Spirit of God moved in Samaria in such a tremendous way, there was something that Philip did. He released the mind of God. He released the word. He released the mind of God. In, in every opportunity he had, he released the mind of God. Now, we need to be wise, particularly if you're looking at a working environment, how you release the mind of God. But let me tell you this. You bring the mind of God into that situation that makes sense to you but may not make sense to others. So what I'm saying is that when they say to me, Noel, could we have an agenda? Could you write an agenda item to look at hate crime in the borough? 
I'll bring an agenda that I know is scripturally based. I don't have to call it scripture. But I know God is attracted to his word. <laughs> he will not allow his word to return void. I say to people, even when you want healing, spend time reading God's word. What I feel this very strongly. I've learned, and these are just little things that have helped me. Please don't take it as doctrine. I've learned to prepare my spirit. I have to prepare my spirit. I probably listen to two, three hours of the word every day. Now, I need that. And, and, and I'm not saying you need it. I'm just saying that my spirit can't deal with certain stuff without that level of preparation. And, and, and what I'm trying to say is that you have to find your way. <laughs> you have to find the way in which God prepares your spirit. Because, you see, there are some things that happen that are going to be so overwhelming. But when your spirit is prepared and God can trust you with it, you rise and it doesn't cut your momentum. Let me just share a couple more things before we pray. The Proverbs 1.23 says, Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. Notice the correlation. I will pour out my spirit on you and I'll make my words known. So the revelation of his word is linked to the pouring out of his spirit. So what happens, you know, I say to my church, we run an in-house Bible school, and we say, I say to all my leaders, it is compulsory for you to do modules. Compulsory. Because we can be there saying, Lord, pour out your spirit, but you don't even know God's word. Because what happens as he's manifesting the word helps me to identify his move. And sometimes people reject his move because they don't know his word. So when Philip went down to Samaria, one of the first things he did, he said, I'm going to preach. <laughs> and as I preach, people are going to identify that this move is not of the flesh, it's actually of God. Now, why did he need to do that? A few verses later, because this city had been used to magic and witchcraft. So he says, the way I'm going to teach this city is by teaching them the legitimate way. Get encountered with God's word. And when there's a move of the spirit, you won't be deceived. My God. Sometimes churches are afraid of the move of the spirit. They say, well, is that God? Is that God? Is that the devil? No. Get into the word. And then as his spirit is pouring out, your spirit will bear witness. That's God. That's God. That's God. That's God. That's God. My last point is, I keep saying my last point. In the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you know, one of the key safeties is contained in Joel 2. One of the key safeties is this, because let me tell you this, in these last days, we're going to see a lot of manifestations. I just love what Peter said. This is that which was spoken. This is that. Everyone say, this is that. One more time. This is that. That's our warning. When I see things and it's like, I think, I don't is this that? Because that's my safeguard. And you can say, yeah, you're just not being flexible. I'm sorry. God's given me a safety and says, if this is not that, you have every right to question it. You have every right to hold back until it's clear that this is that. So as God pours out his spirit, as we become a prophetic community, as we live spirit conscious and God conscious more than self conscious, as we give ourselves to the word, we're going to see a transformation not only in our lives, but in the very people that are around us. How much can God trust you to be a prophetic community? How much can he show you I know that you'll be a steward of what he showed you.
I may have shared this before, but forgive me if I have. The night before my, my, my brother passed away, the Lord was speaking to me. And as I dreamed, I have a lot of dreams. Um, in the dream, it was so explicit. I saw my, it was my father that had passed away. It was very, very clear. And during the dream, my sister rang me, was trying to ring me to say, Noel, you're not going to believe what's happened. Dad's passed away, etc., etc." So I woke up about six o'clock, um, switched on my phone, and I saw some mixed messages, missed calls from my sister. And she said, Noel, ring me straight away, urgently. When I rang her, she, she literally, word for, for word, she said, you're not going to believe this, um, Calvin um, went to work, collapsed at the bus stop and died. Now, I remember saying to the Lord, why would you, why, why would you tell me that a few hours before? In fact, when I, think, when I figured it out, the time, the time when I woke up is the time he actually died. They couldn't get paramedics to him quick enough. I remember the Lord saying this very, very personal for me. And he said, because I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And as a result of the outpouring of the Spirit, God reveals to you what he can trust you with. Sometimes, you know, I had a conversation with someone who said, you know, I want to be a powerful prophet. I said, well, how much can God trust you? And I believe in my heart, loved ones, that God can trust you. Demonstrate to him, not to me, that he can trust you, that as he pours out his spirit upon you, he can be like Jesus knowing that he's going to go to the cross <laughs> but yet remain God conscious can you stand with me please sometimes it's people say you know don't don't get caught up in in an emotion but you know serving God from your heart it's an emotional experience. And I would love today, in your own way, for you to make a declaration to the Lord to be led by him like never before. The outworking of the outpouring of God's spirit has to be my lifestyle. And you know the challenge, loved ones, is that you can't always take what God says to you and make it yours. One of my sons in the Lord did that and it broke his marriage. And I'll I, I share very, very quickly. You know what happened? When Sharon was pregnant with our eldest daughter, the Lord clearly said to me, I want you to go to Jamaica and do ministry. And when I looked at the date that I was going, Sharon would have literally given birth, I think, a week afterwards. And I remember saying, Lord, but people are going to say, you know, you're just a typical man, you just go off, you leave. All these stuff I was hearing. I said, but God, I heard it so clearly. And I said to Sharon, Sharon, you know, Sharon... One thing with Sharon, she's very, very obedient. And I don't, you know, she gets a lot of gifts anyway. But she's very obedient. Very, very obedient. She just said, no, if that's what God said. And you know what God did? Sophia arrived six weeks early. So I ended up with nearly seven, eight weeks at home with Sharon. And then one of my sons in the Lord took that, Joe. Said to his wife, I'm going on mission. When his wife was going through a hard time. And she begged him and said, please, don't leave me. Well, didn't you hear Bishop's testimony? 
broke his relationship. And when you speak to her now, she, she always records, she says, how can that be the Holy Spirit? Why, how could the Holy Spirit tell my husband to leave me when I needed him? She's going through psychological problems. So this is why this prayer, loved ones, is for you. Don't, I can't necessarily, unless the Spirit of God told, put something on you that is for me. And us preachers, sometimes we're guilty of that. So I'm saying now, wouldn't it be great for the few minutes we have, if we came and said, Lord, please show me how I need to respond in this church, in this season of my life, to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Does anyone want to join me up here today? Just come forward. Just come forward right now. I don't know if the worship team could just play something appropriate. Wouldn't it be amazing? Is it, is it, is it too ambitious to pray for 100% obedience to the Holy Spirit in our churches? So why don't we just begin to pray? Father, in the Rosikiri Mandorole Mendere. Sibreneni Moshire Manandolosikin Nanashke Dadaha. Sikorondere Siam the Landorosikin Namandarekika. Randa Rarabade de 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 Father, on the lesion, randa resienda, renda rossigendele. Father, renda lo serendede de ha. Lord God, we just give ourselves away right now. Father, I thank you for CLF. I thank you, Lord, that in response to the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, oh God, we are a prophetic community. Father God, we pray in the name of Jesus that there will be an appropriate response. Lord God, we want to be led by your spirit. We want to respond to your spirit. Father God, we want to be people that, whose spirit, man, you can prepare. You can trust us. You can trust us with revelation. You can trust us with responsibility. Father God, we know that as a result of the outpouring of your spirit, you gave your church more responsibility. Father God, give this house more responsibility. Give us individually more responsibility. Father God, let there be a rising, a rising, a rising in a maturity individually and corporately so that we can grasp those things that you have ordained. Come on, cry out to him right now. Let it be your personal, your personal testimony. Your personal testimony in the name of the Lord. Yeah. Cry out to him from your...